This episode is brought to you by Dynamic Food. Like I thought I was at the end of the journey, but I was just at the beginning. And that's when creativity begins. When you think something is impossible, but actually it is possible. You just need to be more creative to go and get it. Most people, when they go to, to do something great, most things, what happens is you're going to get a no straight away. That's not possible. You can't do this. I can't and a no. I'm like, sweet. We're on something here because no one else has been here. To do something extraordinarily, you can't do the ordinary. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfilment along the way. You've probably all heard me rattle off the quote, as you know I love to do, everyone you meet knows something you don't, and it's on you to do whatever you can to find out what that is. And I've reflected on that one a lot during this week's episode. Creating this podcast expands my mind and thinking so, so much, but each guest teaches me something in a completely different way. Often I pull out specific nuggets or ideas that click in my brain as we're chatting along, but with Fred Shabesta, it was the way his brain works overall churning through concepts that I found most fascinating, particularly because it's so different to my own, and I could honestly never really guess where his mind was going next. You'll be able to tell by how much we jump all over the place what a keenly curious mind he has, which is no doubt responsible for his incredible achievements. And while it definitely kept me on my toes, we ended up peeling back more layers than I expected to wade through the depths of self-worth, internal judgment and the complicated relationship we have with success. If you don't think you've heard of Fred, just conjure the finder.com.au jingle, which everyone has heard, and he's the man responsible. With over 10 million visitors each month, Finder offers visitors easy access to resources that help them understand various financial products in the Australian market, which the non-financial minded like myself definitely need. And Fred has won just about every entrepreneurial award there is. I won't even list them because he's won them all and justifiably too. I would never have guessed that he came from a medical family and lived in a caravan park out the back of the medical centre his parents built during his childhood. Nor would I have guessed that Finder had to make a comeback to grow to the point it has after being completely barred from Google in its early years, which actually makes me shudder just trying to think of the challenge that would pose. Like always, there's so much more to his way to yay than you'd expect, and there are whole chapters we didn't even get to, including a successful foray into the wild world of cryptocurrency. It's a roller coaster this one, so buckle in, but there are so many interesting takeaways and a whole person, father, and chicken lover behind the title you see most. Fred, as you described it, I feel like we've got our tech lined up and we're finally in the kill zone. Welcome back to the kill zone and welcome everyone. <laughs> So firstly, I've got two little icebreakers. The normal one is usually what's the most down to earth thing about you. But the first one has now become a simple, how are you? Because 2020 is just an absolute shitstorm, And I feel like we should all check in with each other. So how are you going? I ate the most ridiculous bacon and egg sandwich just before. And I kind of needed a nap. So I, I lay down on my couch and I regathered some energy. Zooming back up, I wondered why did I need that nap? And I think because I haven't been sleeping terribly well. And why is that? Well, it's just got a few things going on. Normally, I, I, I do a lot of segment sleeping anyway, which is, yeah, I feel comfortable about. But I think the other part that I probably haven't expected is I think I've just been stacking that idea of all the things going on and adding them to the already things that were going on and now adding a little, like obviously learning new patterns with people adjusting helping other people adjust and yeah probably it's resulting in a little less sleep so naps on the couch 
<laughs> I kind of feel like that's the answer to the next question as well. The most down-to-earth thing about you is you segment sleep. Tell us about segment sleeping. What even is that? Um, so is it just a fancy word for napping? Because I feel like that's what it is right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's your way of saying I'm technical napping. Yeah, I technically nap. <laughs> and the reason why I do that is, I don't know, I just wake up during the middle of the night. And so, so historically, humans used to actually wake up at around 12 o'clock and then stay awake till about 2 or 3 in the morning. When the streets started getting lit, you know, and gas and things like that, it was a lot safer at night and humans then slept through the night. And naturally, if you just sort of bug out a bit, you'll actually naturally wake up during the middle of the night and, and feel absolutely fine. And then if you go back to sleep for a little nap after and wake up, you feel unbelievably fresh and it's, it's great. I think what I, yeah, I've been sort of bumbling along with that is waking up very early recently and just going for walks on the beach. I know that's, you know, it sounds special, but I just never did that before. And I'm kind of trying to appreciate and be grateful for the environment and just where I am. Because, you know, I think I'm, I'm feeling personally like there's a lot of repetition about the same environment and the same place and not and being geographically sort of nailed down. And I was trying to think, like, how can I turn that around? How can I start to reinvent that? And that's mm-hmm. where I started to just, you know, trying to find the beauty and find the, the magic in what is here and just be super grateful for those things. Yes, absolutely feeling you on the repetition at the moment. It's interesting that you said beach walks are nothing special. It's just that you hadn't done them before. That's exactly what I think about seizing your yay. I kind of often refer to life as a big puzzle, you know, all the little pieces are what combines to make your yay and or make your joyful life. And I think we often make the mistake of believing that we need to make massive changes to find our joy, like leaving your job or changing your lifestyle dramatically. But it's actually in just finding the smaller pieces of the puzzle or making the really small tweaks to your life, just like a daily walk that that really add up. Mm. So the first section on that journey to your joy is called Your Way TA, where we investigate all the chapters that came before the one we know you for best. And I can't start without acknowledging the ubiquitous find a jingle, so catchy, well done, (laughs) (laughs) which is what many people associate you with, your award-winning fintech company that's absolutely killing it. But what about Fred before finding your purpose and before knowing where you wanted to end up and what you get up every day to do? or what legacy you want to leave you know what were you like as a child I was an extremely curious wandering rebellious kid who used to ride his BMX bike and (laughs) climb trees and build little cubby houses and ride my skateboard down the road really really fast and fall off and do it again and build jumps and explore places and essentially just let myself be curious and just follow it. Sounds like the perfect recipe for later entrepreneurial success. But I was surprised to read that you came from a medical family and like all the best ways TA, had a few diversions before you got to where you are. I also read that, you know, you've referred to it as growing up with an unusual mix of privilege and privation, having doctors as parents with all the assumptions that that brings, but then actually growing up in a caravan parked out the back of a medical center that they built during your childhood. So Tell us about those years in the caravan and, you know, how seriously you entertained doing medicine, having such a, you know, medical family. I mean, your mum was New South Wales' first female ophthalmologist. So did that ever influence you to thinking that that was definitely the pathway you were going to take? I, and and thank you for your research, Sarah, incredible work. (laughs) I'm impressed. And um, I'm sure your readers, everyone who's listening right now is loving the research. When I was young, I didn't really know what anything about that. It was a little cold, you know, at times. And (laughs) (laughs) there were a few spiders every now and then, and they were kind of scary. But in the net sense, I didn't really know that meant anything. You know, to me, that was just normal. But then when we moved into the house, I was like, wow, the house is a cool, you know, like (laughs) it's really nice and there's carpet and it's awesome, you know, like it's really cool. My uh, grandparents are very frugal as well, and they worked very hard to get to where they are, where they were, they were, and they gave my parents the opportunity to get to where they were, and they worked extraordinarily hard. I think, you know, I did think about maybe I could probably have been a surgeon to some extent, 
the challenge was I, I went and sat the medical exam in Newcastle University. I, I, I wasn't academic enough. I just didn't really like academic stuff that much to get straight into a Sydney University or whatever have you for medicine. I just didn't get the marks. I just, I don't know, I just couldn't commit in that way. It's not my, I don't think that's my natural genius in, in academia. But I sat the Newcastle University exam just, you know, to, well, you know, let's see what, I didn't really know what I was going to do because I was just this wandering kid who just wanted to go and have fun. And, you know, I just explore things, you know, explore computers and coding and stuff. And then, I was like, oh, sure, I'll just go become a doctor. That sounds great. <laughs> um, so I rolled into the exam and unfortunately I failed the empathy test. I think I got 2% out of 100. Wow. Um, there were all these questions and it was like A, B, C, D, E, F, or G. It was like, it was like a lot of potential answers. I was like, okay. And they were all like, you know, you're, you're sitting beside the bedside of a patient and they've experienced this and the family's outside. What do you do? I said, I would say, tell them what's wrong or like explain they're going to die. I don't know. Like I would just say what I thought the direct answer should be. And clearly I was not extremely empathetic. And so <laughs> that was the end of my medical journey. Wow. Well, a short chapter, but I'm glad because it led you closer to where you're meant to be. That really reminds me that at some point, all of us go from asking, what should my hobbies be based on what I'm good at and what I enjoy to what should my job be? And that decision becomes really disconnected from those questions of what you're good at and what you enjoy and what suits you best. Mm. And it's so interesting to me that you kind of had all those ingredients of knowing what type of intellect you had and what a curious mind you had. And yet you still thought, I'm going to try med anyway. Like I'm still just going to go down that pathway, even though <laughs> now in hindsight, you know what you were best suited for. I think a lot of us go through that. And, you know, I think there is a huge amount of people who experience the schooling system with that kind of disconnect between what they think their intellect is and then what job they have to select. And mm. it can get really confusing and you can actually misunderstand your own intellect and intelligence and potential. So yeah. how did you kind of figure out what came next? You know, you didn't find yourself very academic. You weren't empathetic enough for med. How did you choose finance as what <laughs> came next? Well, as a kid, my dad gave me a little bundle of shares and I, I was always fascinated. I would read the newspaper and I, I loved looking at the shares and I didn't know necessarily what a stockbroker did or a merchant banker did. I, I, I kind of knew, but it kind of didn't, didn't really register with me because I think my family were obviously very medical and they followed an academic route. And so my uncle was an actuary and so i actually started studying actuarial science at university so i could do really good maths and i studied computer science as well although after about two years two and a half years of actuarial studies i dropped out because i and i had a big fight with my parents about it i just wasn't that good at stats i just i wasn't that good like other people were just much better and naturally it didn't come to me and during that time, but I started learning how to build websites. I was just coding them in my college room and I started selling them to other people. Each computer science course I would go to, I'd kind of go to the first few lectures, skip the, 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 the textbooks and skip forward. And I'd ask that, hey, could I get, uh, you know, week seven? And it's, you know, it's in the first week. I just need the <laughs> tutorial because I'm trying to solve this thing. Anyway, yeah, I would just basically translate what I'd learned in university. and But I'd use the, the languages they used and the frameworks were like, they were good. They were the fundamental concepts, but they were, they were using them for old school things. And I was using it directly for the internet. So, you know, I think my fascination with finance was always there. And I eventually actually, I actually actually have a finance degree. That's all I got in the end, um, <laughs> which is great, you know, like, but I never used that specifically. But I think, you know, this journey, you know, we had a first business building and selling websites and we learned how to internet market there. But writing about financial products to me always came naturally. I, you know, I've always been fascinated by investing. It's kind of a wandering journey towards back home to where I almost started. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know whether I, I suppose I could have started there. I probably would have been a fast track, much, much easier way to go. But I always think that extreme amounts of value are created as an individual when you sit between the, I guess, the artifacts of big topics. So what I mean by that is, you know, fintech was not a thing when I was at university. There was no such thing. Banks just built, you know, websites. That was just, that's not fintech. That's just internet on with a finance company. And I 
kind of accidentally always sat in between that place between finance and technology. I just didn't realize it was a thing. So when cryptocurrency came up, that to me is just a natural. It was like finance plus marketing plus tech. I was like, yes, all three of those things I understand. So I just think the big value and competitive advantage comes in those, uh, I guess, you know, if you're looking at like a Venn diagram where the three kind of rings intersect. I was about to say you're a walking Venn diagram. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it's so interesting that the things, the intersection of which is now your life are not the ones that first, you know, the first part of your story would necessarily indicate. And they're also things that you didn't know could intersect to make a career because this career didn't exist when you started out, which is something I remind people of all the time. You have to be so open-minded because whatever you end up doing might not be in existence right now. And that's why the world is so exciting because it's moving so fast all the time. Mm. And as you said as well, I think there was a soundbite there that it was a wandering journey back to where you started. I talk about that all the time. We start with unfiltered information as kids of what we like. You know, our needs and wants are so immediate. You know what you're good at and you know what you don't like and it's very clear. Then we add layers of crap that just muddies the waters, other people's expectations, societal norms. Mm. But then we hit this age where we just end up peeling it all back to what we knew in the beginning, which is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) What would you say about the drastic change in your metrics for success? Like your first business was in websites and SEO only a year after you finished uni without having studied business. So very quick adjustment. Then you sold it very quickly, then moved into a different area again Mm. against a backdrop of a very medical family with different ideas about career trajectories. Mm. Were you consciously changing your values for success and fulfillment at the time or is it something you kind of realized in hindsight? Oh, definitely, you know, I guess some sort of financial success. Like I guess financially it was a very tough business. You know, I guess to some extent it was okay, but it was a brutal time, you know, absolutely brutal journey. Not that I would take it back. In fact, I probably learned so much from it. And, it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that I learned all those hard lessons about, you know, actually how a company makes money and actually how to make good financial decisions and um, about investing in people and contracts and frameworks and recruiting the right people and not the wrong, you know, people that you can't work with and you don't want to work with and like all of those lessons came from that first company and I pretty much did the opposite in Finder. (laughs) (laughs) Well again I think like every chapter even if it doesn't work out the way you want it to it's never a waste of time because it will always teach you like the next chapter is always the success of that is directly related to the lessons you learned in the one before and I think people get really caught up in like that was a waste of time if you ended up changing jobs but I'm like no that was what led you to the next chapter so how did you go from running this internet business then selling it which is in itself an enormously hard process to navigate when you haven't done it before and you were still so young then I think agitating for change between big phases of our life can be really disorientating. So did you want to close that chapter so early? Then you had two years before starting a new chapter with Finder. What were you thinking about your direction then? What gave you the idea for a whole new business? And, you know, the big thing that interests me is that you now know that it worked. Mm. But in the early days of Finder, you didn't necessarily know that it was going to work out. Mm. So what was going through your mind? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I didn't know any better and I didn't really have much context and awareness of anything else that existed at all. And I couldn't imagine anything else because I, I was pretty young. I was 26. And to me, that was that was my whole world. That's, I thought, you know, I have one, one internet to me, that's it, you know. And then I started to realize, oh, there's, there's a bit more. Like I thought I was at the, the end of the journey, but I was just at the beginning. And when I reframed that and restarted and reset my own personal expectations and personal goals, I think that's when I started to actually care more about what I felt about the world and what I felt about myself than what anyone else felt or felt at all. Like I, I just stopped caring what anyone else wanted to do and, and pushed me to do or whatever. I just, mm-hmm. I listened to myself and that was the beginning. Right. And that's, to me, I remember, you know, I wanted to start another company that was scalable. It had a product. It wasn't built on me. It was built on great people who built a great company, had a good mission and a purpose. 
like that's lucky that all came out right i don't think it's that easy to do but i do think that the intention was there the intention to create a scalable global business and figure out how to do that you know remember going back finder started off as credit card finder not as finder oh okay yeah tell us actually go back so you left you sold an seo like non-finance related business and then started a totally financial based business and with your school friend frank how did you yeah did it start as a gap in the market thing or does this did it start because you wanted to reverse engineer a business that was scalable and i also love that most businesses that have become as big as finder started with just one product offering and then expanded like you can't nail everything at once so yeah tell us about that very early credit card finder well, <laughs> the jingle doesn't work with creditcardfinder.com.au. It doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> and, and we had homeloanfinder.com.au, personalloanfinder.com.au. You know, we had lots of other domain names and sites, and they were good little businesses, but they genuinely did not have a brand. It was kind of weird. It was like, oh, I don't know if this is a brand. Uh, and it was around the time that we got penalized by Google as well. You know, we were pushing this SEO thing, and we pushed it a little bit too far. And I take full responsibility for that, you know. <laughs> I got us locked up in Google jail. You call it the samurai. Don't you have a samurai sword we to do. represent this time? We've got a samurai sword up on the wall and it's in a little cage now to be safe. It's dangerous because oh it's gosh. a real samurai sword. And it reminds us of, you know, our tactics can be sharp and they can cut us as well. You know, they're, they're, they're dangerous, right? Um, <laughs> so you started in 2007 and then you got cut off by Google in 2011. Yeah. And so I'd say, I'd say 2009 is when we went full time and yeah, 2011, we got pretty heavily penalized. You know, I think, I think going back to resetting the aspirations and, you know, you're talking about that chapter and how do you align yourself and how do you make, how does that feel? I think I just listened to myself. I said, you know, am I done? Do I, what do I want to do? And I just didn't feel that with that first company, I was done. I was like, oh, this is not it. This is not the level. This is not the level. We should do better than that. And when we started with that site, you know, it was just mainly, I was like, oh, it's a little experiment. We, we, we had a whole series of other experiments running. And, you know, one was the Sudoku site, a Mother's Day present site, and a poker site, sports wow. betting website. Um, yeah. And, and, but the credit card finder was one that kept, you know, it was like kind of, oh, this is actually quite a good little business. It's going to work. All right, let's keep going. And over time, we just slowly turn the other ones off. We still have like a thousand domain names or something sitting in hibernation. But um, yeah, the credit card site, the mission of that was just to rank number one in Google for credit card. And so I downloaded all the keywords in order of most popular and try to register those domain names because back then Google really respected if the keyword was in the domain name. And so, you know, credit card.com.au was taken, credit cards.com.au was taken, best credit cards was taken, blah, blah, blah. And then number six was credit card finder. And it was available. I was like, cool, available, register. All right, that's it, let's go. <laughs> and just started building a business, right? Started, I started, you know, we started coding the website. And so I was just, you know, doing it by myself because, you know, it's a long vision, right? To build a company is a long journey. Not everyone's up for that, which is fine. But I went on that journey and yeah, at night I would just, you know, I would write content and I would learn the latest SEO tactics and, I just continuously, relentlessly improved and tweaked the website day in, day out. I was studying every single possible thing I could possibly study on SEO and really mastering it, but implementing it at the same time, right? So I think within the company, I, I know almost every role because I've almost done, not actually not, there are a lot of them I don't know, I don't understand because it's gotten a lot bigger now. Like, But in the core, I started doing the absolute core and I can talk in extreme depth about a lot of things to anyone in the company because I did that myself. I sat mm. with a computer and I called up the clients and I, you know, built links and I called, you know, the media and I, all the same stuff. I think that I'm very grateful for that beginning. I think it's only possible because I was able to translate the skills that I'd mastered into a website and get the opportunity to do that. But that was only possible because of, you know, the seven years of work in the agency and learning them through trial and error. And, you know, I think that's why I'm so grateful for those years because it taught me so much. 
got another healthy hack for you, lovely neighborhood, from our partner in Yay, Dynamic Food. I'm a sucker for anything that makes eating well easier, and Dynamic has been a long-time favorite of mine, delivering nourishing, healthy meals full of flavor straight to your door. And the best part, they've just added 10 amazing new meals from a range of cuisines to their delicious menu. We can't travel as freely as usual at the moment, but that doesn't mean our palates can't get adventurous. While 2020 has been a tiring year on most fronts, flavor fatigue is not something you have to worry about. Think honey soy chicken with wild rice and steamed veggies, lentil and mushroom spaghetti bolognese. I'm drooling even thinking about it. Plus, your meals come in Halo Pack Eco Packaging that reduces 20 tonnes of plastic per year. And the meals are all prepared in a carbon-neutral kitchen using locally sourced produce from Aussie Farms. That's the dynamic difference. Check them out, kids. Use the code SARAH20 to get 20% off everything. You represent three really important things to me. One of them is continuous self-improvement and self-education. I think we, the days where your university degree is the last time that you'll need to study and learn and like level up are gone. And I love that you can just continue to teach yourself about the stuff you're doing informally or formally, but continuously improve your knowledge and skill set. I think that's important. Secondly, that I think we all think that you need to, if you want to go into business, you need to wake up one day and have the idea, like the idea, completely Mm. formed, ready to launch. And I love that you you didn't do it that way. You just kind of threw out like 55 things. You threw out the net wide and you let them all run and you just saw based on real-time feedback which one did best and which one had the most sticking power. But I think if people thought about how Finder started, they'd think you had the idea from the beginning. Mm. I didn't know that either. I would have thought it was a comprehensive idea with you know board approvals and a 10-year plan, but it's a great reminder that you don't need that. And I just got so into that second point that I forgot what the third was, which I do all the time. I should never say my dot points out loud. But I did think of something else. The next section is usually called NATA, which is all the barriers to your joy along the way. But I want to kind of weave that in here a bit because I think it's relevant. Now, people looking at you, you're very clear on the mission. And Finder has, you know, 10 million visitors each month, over 400 staff in six offices, and you can be found in 80 countries. Like, it's absolutely enormous. But no one really can guarantee their business will grow to that point. Mm -hmm. And that's reminded me again that, you know, Finder, like all businesses, develops in iterations and versions, as do the founders. As the business grows, you kind of Uh, you know, Fred 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. As you went through each phase, did you experience self-doubt or any social comparison of how good, you know, how well you were doing? I'd love to know kind of what in the worst case scenario your fears were, but also at the other end of the spectrum, what your wildest hopes and dreams were of what it could achieve and whether, Mm. you know, you've surpassed those and then what happens when you do surpass those because... Mm what we think at the start, either positively or negatively, rarely turns out to be what happens in reality. Mm, no, you're right. I think my fears were not really like achieving that much. Like it was like a good thing. Like I, there were a lot of ideas because like, we've done a lot of other businesses and, you know, we just did the cryptocurrency brokerage. We, we launched that in February of 18 and we just sold it two weeks ago. Um, it was again a small sale, but it was a good sale. You know, it was a good little business. It was called Hivex, and it just kind of businesses. I think hit like a natural equilibrium where if you want to go to the next level, you've got to put a lot of capital in and take a big bet, right? But if the business in and of itself is it's okay, it's average, and it's not a great, then I think that that that, that that's very challenging, and that's where it's a bigger bet. And the first business we did, I don't think it was that, you know, it was always going to be a tough business to scale. It was always going to get commoditized. I didn't see the ultimate competitive edge, right? I think with Finder, it's got a really good competitive edge in terms of its marketing and its technology now. But it's, you know, it's always been a fear, like maybe there's something I'm not seeing that I should be seeing that maybe someone else is seeing and that's going to just wipe us out. You know, you always, I always have a mild amount of paranoia a healthy, constructive paranoia. And on the other side, I think I, I, I think I've always submitted the idea that, you know, whatever we're doing today, we could probably go and do 
Like, what does a hundred times that look like? like? I think it was in a meeting yesterday and someone said, you know, oh, we've done $2,000 revenue for la la la. I said, imagine when we hit $200,000. And I was like, oh, nah. Like, 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 I was like, like, imagine when that happens. That's very feasible. It's possible. It's going to happen. Imagine that. Just imagine what that feels like. Imagine what it looks like. What is needed to go from here to there? Mm. And that's when people have two options. They can either, you know, listen to bitterness and to some extent and rebel against that and, you know, point fingers and stuff, or they can instead be, you know, inspired and go, how could we do that? And that's when creativity begins. That's the moment when you think something is impossible, but actually it is possible. You just need to be more creative to go and get it. There is a delta. Your current level of thinking and the tools you have, the resources are not going to get you there. You're not going to get there with the current level you're at. You need to exceed that. You need to go past that. Mm. And that to me is fun. That's fun. That's when you're playing the game. That's the game where you look back and you go, hey, I achieved this. We did this. And few people realize, you know, those things happened with the resources and the constraints and all the problems. Who, no one's going to like write a chapter about all the problems, right? Everyone's got problems. Like everyone's got problems, massive problems, challenges, all those kind of things. It's actually talking about how you overcame them and the end result you got. And that's what you get remembered for. That's what creates legacy. And that's the part that excites me. It's that extra 20% that everyone else thinks impo- is impossible. Totally. But I love the feeling of going, how creative can we be to get that extra 20? I really like the way you reframed our overcoming barriers in terms of creativity. Like that kind of takes the emotion of failure or doubt out of it and looks at just applying your creative skills to move past something. It's just a simple challenge rather than a big emotional problem of like, you know, overcoming your failures. Like when two years into your business, Google, the main place where your business lived and operated, kind of cut you guys off completely so many people would have taken that as the end of the road as like a failure or such a big setback that you could never get through it and others might take action but based more on revenge as a motivation which only gets you so far (laughs) as long as you care about getting revenge because one day you probably won't creativity is such a cool new way to frame that whole thing of just overcoming the feeling of impossibility I like that well I I I wanted to add to that if I can Sarah is of course I think of recent only recently during you know this coronavirus and i think it's an interesting time and historic moment and i think it's it's been fascinating but thing i learned through it personally which i didn't realize which is unusual is i realized i'm a creative person you didn't realize that i didn't realize that wow and the reason for that is normally i think i had it i realized the internal judgment i had about what a creative person was is that they had flair and they designed <laughs> things then I reframed it as someone who's creative is someone who creates in whatever format. And, and I think if you think about that founder jingle, I didn't write any of the notes. I didn't actually, I, I suggested the brief for what we're going to sing about, but how that was done, the melody, it had to be an earworm. And then I think the part that which I contributed was more going, you know, refining the words down to being just the domain name and going, that's the one. It's that one there. Mm. Out of all the, you know, I don't know, probably 50 jingles that we made, I said, it's that one there. That is the one. What what I'm trying to submit from that is going back to the challenges. I, I reject the notion that it's just design. Creativity is in all formats. I think accountants can be creative. I think architects are creative. I think writers are creative. Everyone is creative. It's about stretching your mastery to the place where other people feel it's impossible to do, but you do because you're more creative. I like that impossibility seems to be a bit of a metric for you in how you measure your work of breaking down the barriers of what people conceive of as being possible. And I wonder how else, you know, you measure your life. How else has that changed? The first time I met you actually was at the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Awards that you won. And I just remember how brightly you stood out in this gold jacket and blonde hair, adding that award to a string of the outrageous accolades and recognition that you've gotten for Finder in your journey. What are the metrics 
have become how you measure success. At what point in the journey did you feel successful? There's so much struggle at the beginning and then it starts to go well and then it all feels a bit surreal. And then what about once you do feel successful and surpass your wildest dreams? There can be a bit of an existential crisis and then it's sort of like, well, what do I do next? You know, what was what's your whole journey of that been? So I think naturally I'm probably not, I, I wouldn't put myself as the poster child of, you know, being comfortable and I'm working on this as an individual being very comfortable with being grateful for where I am and what we've done and being present and in the present moment. And I'm working on that. It's a, it's a personal, it's actually my area of growth right now. Mm. So, but there's probably a number of pieces before that, that I needed to work on even before getting to that piece. So the first one was feeling worthy of anything that you've done or whatever achievements you made. And that, yeah, was a major judgment about myself to myself that I'm not worthy for anything really. And that felt weird because anytime you got something, I was like, oh, well, I'm not worthy of that and whatever. But that's that's that doesn't create the dopamine hit that continuously cycles you and, you know, it keeps you going and, and those kind of things. And so one, I sort of had to clean that mess up. I had um, to clean my shit up. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah. That's why I got a therapist. <laughs> yeah. Take responsibility for that. So the second piece after feeling worthy is about feeling good enough. We all tell ourselves we're not good enough and then we self-judge and then we project that judgment and we judge other people. Cleaning that up, that was a big deal. And anytime I, you know, find myself judging someone else, I find I wonder why am I what am I judging myself about? which is interesting. And I think those two pieces particularly, and then finally being you know, present in the moment and having trust about the universe and flowing with it, all stacked together kind of, to me, represent the area where you can feel success and you can experience it. I'm not sure if I'm the best at it yet. I, I, I just kind of keep going and keep rolling. And I, I think other people are much better at explaining that and feeling that success than I am. I I just more carry on. I don't know. I mm. <laughs> yeah. I, I I don't know if I dwell on it too much. Yeah. It just it doesn't come naturally to me to do that. I think it's more feeling empowered and motivated in myself and what I am doing and where that's going and then not self sabotaging to keep going further. And that's normally the product which I I, I had to deal with the most is just some behaviors. I was like, whoa, that's really unconstructed behavior why did I do that you know and then when you unpack it I realized it was really the judgment I had about myself mm. were leading me to take actions which were self-sabotaging and mm. over time I've just cut them out completely it's interesting that you have to get there's a lot of work that comes with achieving success I think people think it's a really smooth ride but actually there is a lot of obviously introspectiveness and it seems a lot of self-awareness that you've been cultivating about what has happened over time of we have very complex relationships with success and goal setting and fulfillment. And it's, I think people take for granted that you do have to do a bit of work on yourself as you get further along in your sort of success progression. Another thing that I think ties in really closely with self-worth is that once you do hit this, that momentum of achieving that, then you become like productivity is my identity. Like you've got find a venture, find a apps, like there's extensions of the brand all the time. And I find the same incessant need to produce newness and like novelty, but then I burn out. Mm. How do you manage that? Like the, the business's demands for innovation. How do you balance that? Like I need time for introspection, but I also need to be producing. And like, how do you find the middle ground for yourself? I Do you ever burn out? I burn out all the time. Like Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad it's not just me. I love that. I mean, I don't love that you burn out, of course, but you're human. Oh, no, I'm, I see it as a tactical, <laughs> I see it as part of my tactical move. You know, Ooh. if you're in that much flow, just keep going until you're done. And then that was it. That's all you had. You know, that was the creative energy. That was the spark. You got to, you know, squeeze all the lemon and, and all the juice and chew up the rind as well. Get in there, you know. Um, <laughs> not the rind. Ugh. It's not my favorite part. No. Um, <laughs> I know some people do like it, but anyway, I genuinely, yeah, I see it like as part of the tactic. Nice. Tactical burnout to me is sometimes you got to push it. That's that's the game. That's what you have. That's what's in your resource toolkit. And you've got that energy supply. So, you know, go and use it. And then, yeah, you're going to have to go and pay down the debt. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> There's always payback, yeah. unfortunately. You can borrow up the energy on the energy uh, battery, but then you're going to have to pay it back, you know. And there is interest as well. 
Um, <laughs> so how do I balance it? I, I've started to learn to take a holiday. <laughs> that sounds strange. No, that's not but, strange um, at all. It's such a common revelation people have so late in the piece. I need to rest? What do you mean rest? So, you know, every second weekend I, I tend to just go for a run, you know, go and have some yum cha and come home and I will just sit in bed and play computer games. <laughs> Oh my god! It's nice. I'm like, I'm not doing anything. I ain't going anywhere. I just stare up, you know, at the ocean and play computer games and eat things and <laughs> just like because I've spent it all. It's all spent. Like mm. there's no more to spend. And so I just get into that energy recovery mode. And then when I hit Monday, I am jacked. I am ready to go. <laughs> I am like, yeah, yeah. so jacked. <laughs> But you know, my wellness warrior side is not going to be happy about this admission, but I totally resonate with that idea of tactical burnout. I don't recommend it maybe the way that you might, but the reality of business is that it sometimes turns out that way. You're in flow. You can't break that until you get your ideas out because you've just got to use those creative moments while you have them. And in the first few years, balance does look a bit more like burnout, payback, burnout, payback. Mm. But I also love that you have activities that refill the cup. The last section is called Play TA, where we look at exactly that. Strip back your productive working identity and find what brings you joy with no KPIs or expectations. I'm yet to find someone who works as intently as people like you do without having an outlet like that. So what else do you do? Um, I like to dine. <laughs> nice. That's a hobby. That's a hobby in itself. Yeah. I don't know if, it, I, I don't know, it's kind of a cheat because, you know, I've got my, my two little girls and, you know, they're with me every second weekend and we try and find somewhere to go and dine and, you know, <laughs> we have a big debate about where we're going to go and what's going to be the thing. And anyway, it's, it's fun. And I try and watch something or read something or listen to something that will contribute to where I'm at. I, I actually find it relaxing. That's, that's probably another thing. I think, the other one I'll tend to do is just go somewhere new. Mm, me too. Just go, I'm going to find, you know, I love, I love spicy chicken. <laughs> I love... So specific. I love it. <laughs> so I will locate and find like, where have I not been? What chili sauce have I not quite understood? Or <laughs> There's a lot to be understood in a chili sauce. You're right. The depth. Deal. The depth. There I is mean, the mouth Portuguese chili Oh, just an adventure in and of itself. Um, and what's that about? Well, it's just a simple thing and I don't really have to think too much about it because I just have to eat and then I get to go with someone and they get to experience it with me and it just kind of gives a safe, an activity to do. I, I do like to run as well. And I just run again. I'm not an athlete in that. I'm becoming going to win a triathlon or a marathon or anything at all. I, I've run in all sorts of cities in London. I, I just ran through the middle of the city. And I think people found it a little awkward. Um, <laughs> I remember I was in Japan last year and I just started run. I just said, I'm going to run to this park and back. Now, Japan is like, I don't normally run with my phone, but in this case, I ran with my phone. And the reason for that is it's extraordinarily dense and populated. And yeah, it's not as easy to run from one place to the other, especially in Tokyo. But that was an adventure in and of itself. And that, engage my mind and just paused and again I you know I wasn't running for a speed or an event it was just purely how can I set a small challenge to you know go and go to this park and figure it out or mm. let's go and start a brand new game and learn that or let's go and discover this special donut that exists <laughs> in this place and you need to go and hunt it find it get in the queue make sure there's enough there and what are we going to eat with it and you know I discovered this French bakery the other day that they fly in the flower from France. I was like, I got to go there. And <laughs> it took at. me a while to find the space and the time, but it's an adventure, right? It's, and it's the journey. It's the experience. You know, I, I do big trips every year. We used to do a big trip and now it's a bit more challenging, you know, with my family, we went skiing every year, my daughters and my ex-wife and my partner. And we go and my, my parents and my sisters and stuff. And we all go skiing together. Skiing is a thing we love to do. Um, and I've started surfing, you know, um, surfing's, I find challenging. I'm not a great surfer, but I, I'd surf, you know, and that's what, that's, that's what, you know, I, again, you know, I'm not taking up something extraordinarily hard. I am taking up something which I think I can do. I'm aspiring for low ambitions, but I, <laughs> you know, 
my perspective surfing career is low, but the pause and the, the space that you get to create and the energy mm. and not just like that top level energy, like the deeper down energy, just drive to overcome the obstacle of whatever it is you want to do. You know, I think that's the thing you're covering. I think most people, when they go to, to do something great, most things, what happens is you're going to get a no straight away. You, you're always going to get a no. That's not possible. You can't do this. I can't and a no. I'm like, sweet. We're on something here because no one else has been here. No one's going where there's a can't and a no because people avoid pain. They love pleasure, right? So I think if you can build up that energy supply and that deep core resource, then you can go on to conquer and handle a much more challenging, more brutal equation that will lead to, you know, I guess, like you said, that success and that um, achievement. Amazing. Again, that impossibility factor for you. I love that it's like such a trigger for action. You're like such a catalyst. If it's impossible, you're like, I'm going, <laughs> I'm doing that. <laughs> <laughs> no one's been here. Great. Yeah. Yeah. My, my dad used to have a poster on the wall next to the computer. And I think it's always affected me. It just had a skier going down a path with no, no tracks and just said beaten paths are for beaten men. And I was like, <gasps> I don't know, for every single moment in time, like when I run on the sand, I run on the soft sand. I always run when no one's run. I run in the hard part when like you got to create your own track. I love that there's always something formative in your childhood that like no one would ever expect that that poster would stick with you for your whole entire life, but they're the formative things, right? (laughs) So you're also an international speaker on the speaker circuit, sharing your knowledge and wisdom with the world. What are a couple of the key things that you want everyone who hears you speak and relevantly your two daughters to leave with? I kind of think, you know, that's speaking is an opportunity to leave a legacy in the minds of the people who you interact with. And you kind of, you know, it might be your one chance to impact that person's life. What are the things you'd want them to leave with? Um, Sorry, that's a large question. <laughs> yeah. It's just some deep life pondering for you to do now. <laughs> I think you're right. I think going back, I think to do something extraordinarily, you can't do the ordinary. And probably that is the theme, you know, whenever I see something and it's not possible, I go, okay, well, yeah, that's great. But maybe it just needs to be recombined in some other way, shape or form in order to create the possibility that it will happen. What I also hope that's combined with is be ambitious. And when you are ambitious and when you state your ambition, great people come to your cause. And the reason why they do that is because they want to be great too. I think if you combine those two things together in some way, it makes a very nice journey i think the third thing i'd add is go to where your energy flows and what i mean by that specifically is like you naturally will gravitate to the thing that you'll love and you'll make money from you just gotta let yourself go you just gotta believe just gotta believe that that's you're gonna figure out a way and it's just that's when your creativity has to start when you're in that place you're in that energy zone you're in that aligned place of what you'd love to do that's okay you know, I, I, I didn't know that building websites was going to be a place that I'd loved. I'd loved it. You know, great. But I didn't know it was going to make money. I just had to be more creative. I didn't know that tinkering around with search engines and, you know, playing computer games as a kid would eventually lead me to understand how computers worked and the power of them and quickly going towards that that place. And, and I didn't think that wandering around and playing BMX bikes and you know, <laughs> chopping down trees and stuff like that would lead to... You know, but I think that innocent imagining and dreaming is what creates things in businesses that no one thought would be possible. Absolutely. And very last question to finish up, what's your favorite quote? <laughs> oh, wow. There's so many. I, I, I have ones on repeat in my calendar that I, you know, continue to, to repeat to myself for, for certain different reasons. And, but remembering back, if I was to boil it down, I think one that I can think of right now is it's called memento mori and what it means is i'm probably pronouncing that because latin is tough to speak these days um it's always been a hard spoken language that one (laughs) yeah for a while now Um, for some years (laughs) when roman generals who just conquered massive lands used to come back to rome and they would walk through the streets and everyone was cheering they were like literally borderline you know the giants of the earth in that moment Mm. they would hire a little kid to run behind them and whisper to them memento mori 
all the time. What? And what it means is one day you will die. Wow. Deep. The reason why I, I have that reminder is it's my little kid following me around digitally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I should put a little picture on the, on the notification. <laughs> like a little cardboard cutout that follows you around the yeah. office. <laughs> what it says to me is if you were going to die at the end of this week, what would you do? What would you spend your energy towards? What would you mm. manifest? What would you create? Where would you place your energy? What's the space that you want to be within? That question, it just clarifies so many things. Anytime you scrape with death or do something like that, it's like, whoa. And then you clarify and you reverse engineer your life and you work it backwards. And I think that's what these generals are doing, right? They were like on top of the world. They were like, just experience it now. This is it. One day you're going to die. It's like, well, and it's even higher. It just pushes you to that. It's like, I am right up there. And I think if you, yeah, you know, it's to remind yourself of that in some small way, shape or form, however you want to do that. I think it gives you that, just that little edge to go through that process of if you were to die in a week's time or you know, is this the same energy you would put or space or whatever have you in what you're doing? Are you aligned in where you want to go and what you're trying to do? Yeah, I think by its nature, mortality is something that I've always thought is a little anti-yay by nature, but the more that it's reframed for me, the more I'm like, actually, it really helps clarify what is joyful for you and what your purpose is and what your legacy is. And it really does kick you up the butt and be like, time is finite. So every minute that you're not using on your best life, and that includes the shit bits as well, but just net, you said at the start, I love this, net good life, net yay field life is a waste. So I love that. Thank you so, so much for joining. It was very enlightening and congratulations on everything. Thank you and yay. Well, be yay. (laughs) What an interesting human being. I find I'm always so at ease when guests are super bubbly and fluffy like me, but I grow so much with the guests who show me a different yay completely. I think some people's intellect just buzzes so much in their brain that they can't really contain it. And Fred's thoughts on creativity and internal judgments just fascinated me. Please share and tag at Fred Shibesta if you enjoy listening along and myself, of course. And keep sharing your Seize the Yay books. You have brought me an immeasurable amount of joy and excitement to see them finally arriving and hearing your reflections as you read each chapter. I will never, ever, ever remind you all enough how grateful I am for the Yay Thank you for everything you do to help us keep spreading the yay. I've got some very, very exciting things coming for you all, and I'll be dropping new products via the newsletter first. So make sure you sign up if you haven't already, and I will pop links in the show notes. Hope you're having an amazing week and are seizing your yay. <laughs>